Common Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and the home of the exclusive patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Jeez, man, I hope uh, my wife gets back from the Ukraine by December 25th. You know, nobody wants a chick in Kiev for Christmas. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> That's actually really funny. I like that. You ever had chicken Kiev? The actual dinner? It's good stuff. Uh, and Duff, always filled with good stuff. Great jokes. Happy holidays from uh, the bass player from Guns N' Roses. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Uh, sure to be a true Christmas classic for many years to come. Uh, it's been a big week on Talk is Jericho. We had ACDC on Monday. If you haven't heard that one yet, go listen to it. Angus Young and Brian Johnson were absolutely hilarious. Told some great stories. My favorite was the Eddie Van Halen one who called him at 2.30 in the morning and said, You're a badass, man. You're a badass. And Angus said, it's 2.30 in the morning. Can I be a badass at breakfast tomorrow? Uh, still funny. Um, great story. It's probably my favorite episode I've ever done since this show started, at least top 10 for sure. So go check that out. And then, of course, one of my favorite people in the world, my dad, Teddy Irvin, was back. He was uh, back on Wednesday telling stories about my, my 30 years in wrestling from his perspective as a parent, as the most supportive father you could ever have. So um, two huge shows. But we're going to end it off with another huge show, one of the hottest acts in wrestling uh, and tr- three Winnipeggers making history and, and revolutionizing an industry. Uh, I'm not talking about Thursday night Winnipeggers with Ribo and Spiwi. I'm talking about three of the best in the wrestling biz from Winnipeg. I'm talking about Chris Jericho with Kenny Omega and Don Callis. That's right. All three of us are together today. Uh, we did a, a podcast maybe three, four years ago. This is the uh, updated version. Since once again, Kenny and Don are the hottest act in AEW. You're going to hear how it all went down. How the, uh, the relationship between AEW and Impact Wrestling goes back further than you think, back to Kenny's childhood, uh, a plan a very long time in the making. And Don Callis and Kenny Omega are going to share those details. They're talking about their first ever meeting, family dinner with Kenny's uncle, the Golden Sheik of Winnipeg as well. How that led to this huge moment and the upcoming Hard to Kill pay-per-view uh, on January 16th by Impact Wrestling, where Kenny's going to be there with the Good Brothers. Listen and learn from the Masters. Be part of this historic moment. Kenny Omega, Don Callis, bring the plan, making history on Talk is Jericho right now. So um, last week was the highest rated Dynamite in about over a year, I believe it was. Highest of, of 2020, and of course it coincides with Sting and it coincides with Shaq, but the hottest thing on the show, besides the inner circle as always, is the new alliance between... Kenny Omega and, and Don Callis. And it seems this is kind of what the world has been waiting for because it's it, it's just taken off like a rocket. Did you expect this, uh, Kenny, when you first uh, thought about having Don come in to be your compatriot? I mean, I felt that um, it was time. I, I felt that I'd waited long enough kind of trying to help everyone else out and it was time to help myself. And when I had sort of made that decision, I thought, who better to do it with than, than one of my family members, you know, and that, that was Don. And even though he was involved with a different company, had other business to attend to, you know, he made himself available. And I think uh, you can really tell when you're comfortable with someone in a ring, comfortable uh, with someone in a professional um, environment. So, you know, just Don and I working together just goes hand in hand. And I think that's why people enjoy it because they, the, they see the chemistry there and they, they see, you know, one of the greatest managers, one of the greatest wrestling personalities of all time with with. You know, arguably, I would say the greatest wrestler currently active in today's world. What do you think, Don? 
I think, I think you know, you shouldn't be so shy. I've been telling you this since you've been here. Quit being so shy about I just don't want to sound like putting yourself over. Well, I, I think there's no question. You are, without a doubt, the number one wrestler in the world, and I've said it before publicly, and I'll say it again, with all due respect, Chris Jericho might be the greatest of all time. Uh, Kenny oh, Omega he's is... Up, he's up there. He, I, think, I think he's right there, right actually. That. I think if you take everything into account. That's deadly, Daddy. It is, man. And, uh, and I'll be happy to, uh, you know... Brutus Beefcake, this son of a gun, all the way till the, whatever your retirement is. Uh, but but I'll just I'll just say this, I'll, I'll just say this in all seriousness. Kenny Omega is by far the best wrestler in the world, and number two is not close. It is for those of us like, and I'll just use myself as an example. I also know how hard you worked. For those of us who had to work so hard, like me, to even be competent in wrestling, the fact that Kenny Omega that it's so easy for him to be so much better than everyone else is actually obscene. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. But it's interesting. Something you said something, Kenny, cause, cause we first basically met at the Tokyo dome almost three years ago. Yeah. And we'll talk about that match. The one that was basically brokered by Don that, that did change the business. Actually, and we, we met at Fukuoka technically, right? F- technically right. met. Sorry. Yeah. Take it. I didn't mean to. We had, we yeah. had to do. We I had mean, to, I haven't forgotten, but I've def- definitely forgiven you, Chris. We had to drum up yeah. some business, right? Yeah, absolutely. We, we did yep. some big business for that. But the one thing I noticed about Kenny, first hearing about you and then seeing you, is like you, you were on fire in, in Japan and definitely the top guy in the company, uh, one of the top two or three, depending on who you were working with. Right. Um, and you just mentioned something. You were tired of helping people the first year in AEW because there were a lot of critics. I knew all along what Kenny Omega is and who Kenny Omega is, but there, was, there were critics going, well, Kenny Omega didn't make the transition well enough, or Kenny Omega right. doesn't know this, or Kenny Omega doesn't yep. know this. And I was just waiting for the moment when it was right, when you decided, and that's exactly what happened, and that's exactly what you're talking about, uh, about coming out o- over the last couple of weeks as this new, cleaner, the real Kenny Omega, yep. uh, the Kenny Omega that you always knew you could be. Is this something you did did purposely? Is this something where there was a transition period? Uh, you know, the way I looked at it was that um, I was always confident in my own abilities, and it's easy for people to hope for you to fail. It's easy for people to say that you failed at something, and people enjoy doing that. People enjoy being able to say you're not as good as my favorite you know you're not as good as the guy that i invested in that i've been cheering for people like to choose sides and when you're not on their side or when you're not representing them they would like to find a way to make their favorite better than you so i knew that i was going to have naysayers i was going to have critics and what people didn't realize was that i mean i knew i could turn it around on a moment's notice and i knew that anytime i wanted to make it my time you know it was it was there for the taking of course i knew um from the beginning if it felt right you know, maybe I should be the guy that, that, that commands the throne of AEW. It wasn't my time. It was yours, Chris. And that's fine. I think, you know, you being the first inaugural champion of AEW was the best company decision and the best move we could have made. And I think you added a lot of respect to that belt. So, you know, for me to do what I did in the tag division, for me to do what I did um, with AEW games, with all of our side ventures, um, my supplement deal, um, all the stuff I'm doing with anime and gaming, all that sort of things, you know, I was, I was able to actually take more time and invest into that. So um, I remember, I can't remember who I was speaking to. It might have been you, Don, but um, someone was telling me it's always good to have a plan B. And I thought, okay, if I'm not going to be the champion, if I'm not going to be the focus, let's make that plan B, C, D, E, F, you know, all the way to Z. And when it's time, yeah, sure. I'll take the company by the reins and steer it into a new direction. And um, it took me a long time to do it. And knowing that I had to do it in a breakneck pace, I knew I needed help. And that's where you came in. So everything's been going well and again i I always knew that we could do it and i just didn't uh 
I'm just glad, you know, I've got you on the, along for the ride. And I hope people enjoy it. And I hope that uh, people that are tuning in for the first time or people that have watched since the beginning are, are going to enjoy what we bring to the table. Because it's going to be something you've never seen before or at least something you haven't seen in a long time. You mentioned uh, kind of a Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan relationship. And, and what, what exactly does that mean when people are saying that, especially you, Don? Oh, that's beyond my ears, Don. You, you, you go ahead. Well, I, I actually never said it. Um, people are saying that. I think it's great. I think, you know, Nick Bockwinkle, you and I, we grew up in Winnipeg watching Nick Bockwinkle. He's one of the greats of all time. I think Bobby Heenan is a great wrestling manager. I'm not a manager. I'm not a wrestling character. I'm making history, Chris, just like you. You know, and so I'm not out there performing. I'm not Bobby Heenan. I'm a revolutionary. I'm Winston Churchill. I don't care what people say about me on the internet. I don't care what the ratings are because guess what? We get a rating the next week. We forget about the week before. We're on to the next thing. I don't care what people say about me now. I care about what people say about Kenny Omega and Don Callis 50 years from now. When people are saying, you know, we thought Eddie Graham and Bill Watts and Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon, we thought they were smart. Mm-hmm. Don Callis, Kenny Omega on a totally different level. And that's just a reality. So Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan, great, great, great wrestlers. Yeah. Great wrestlers. I mean, um, I- Kenny Omega is not a wrestler. Oh. Kenny Omega is a god among insects. That's how much better <laughs> Kenny Omega is than everybody else. Just like you, Chris. There's never been anybody like you. How has there ever been anyone like Chris Jericho? Are you the best wrestler of all time? No. But you're a 9 out of 10 in everything. No one's ever been. Who's ever been as successful as you as both a quote-unquote bad guy and as a quote-unquote good guy? That doesn't exist. No. You're the best of all time, in my opinion. And the fact that we're the best of all time, we have the man who's changed history not once but twice, and we did that together the first time. Mm -hmm. Kenny and I did it together this time. All from Winnipeg? Dude, come on. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's altering the course of, of pro wrestling history, the trajectory of where we're headed. Usually, it, it's controlled by one entity, right? It's controlled by one guy. And now I feel like the power's with us. You know, we control where pro wrestling goes. We control what the people talk about. Yeah. We control the airwaves. We control the topics. And um, I think I think the difference is that everyone out here is trying to be a tribute artist. You know what I mean? We have guys that are trying to be the next... Uh, you know, Eddie Guerrero, guys yep. trying to be the next Chris Jericho, guys trying to be the next The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm, I was never trying to be the next anybody. And maybe at one point I was trying to be the next to you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I could ever amount to, you know, you being a, a 9 out of 10, a 10 out of 10 in almost every category, I could only ever become a 9.75 at best because you can never beat the originator. You can't, you can't outdo the guy who created it all. So I think I had to etch my name in history by being my own Kenny Omega. And by being my own me, especially with, with the guidance of Don, with the, guide, with the help and, and of, of all the tools that I have around me, with all the people, my, my, my associates, I feel that right now we're pretty much untouchable. Kenny Omega, it's not a 9.75 out of 10. You don't give yourself enough credit. And this is partially why. I'm I mean, here. I was saying if I tried to be like Chris, I'd I want you to see, yeah, I want you to yeah. see you how we all see you. It's not a scale of 10 with Kenny anymore. No. Just like the match ratings, five-star match. He has those <laughs> in his sleep. That's they had true. to make it seven, eight stars. I stopped Now it's stop not. Counting. It's not nine out of 10. It's 15 out of 10 when you're talking about Kenny Omega. People said to me, well, how did the negotiation go to get this arrangement with AEW? There is no arrangement. And Chris, you know this because you're a smart guy. I don't negotiate. I don't go hat in hand. 
We do what we want because Kenny has the power. He's the AEW world champion, the greatest wrestler in the world. I have the power because I changed the wrestling business not once but twice. You know, a famous guy once said, well, it was me. Someone came to me and said, but Don, you gave me the power to do this in this company. And I looked at this person, Chris, and I said, well, if I did give you power, then you've got nothing. Because real power is something you take. And that's what we did on Dynamite. That's what we've done on Impact. And that's what we will continue to do. Obviously, one of the biggest screw jobs is what some people say. I, I call it smart. Once again, it's funny that the, the whole city of Winnipeg, and we'll talk about this in a bit, has now changed the business. Yeah. No one would have ever thought that. You know, Forget about Portland or Dallas or Calgary or New York, Stanford, up north, up in New York, down south in Atlanta. It's all Winnipeg that, that basically turned the tide. But what we've seen, uh, the, the new entrance of Kenny with the cleaner dancers. The sweepers, yeah, the, the sweepers. sweepers yeah. With the amazing uh, the, the screen in front of you and the, the huge intro and the new look with the shades and the and the and the suits and then coming to the ring in a helicopter which was amazing don Callis sitting in the back which was amazing uh, are you guys coming up with these ideas together is this i, that I actually want to correct you and i don't like to do that um there was some editing around that people have pointed out but really? they got the editing wrong i flew the helicopter but because I'm not licensed in the U.S., yeah. we had to edit it out and get an extra to be the pilot and make it look like I came out of the back. One of my hobbies has been aeronautics. I wasn't aware of that. We'll see. I thought you were sitting in the back, so you were actually flying the plane. I flew the helicopter. Because you have a license in Canada. I do. Yeah. But you can't use it in, in the helicopter. state. It's not like a driver's license. It's, it's from, my, international. from my time yeah. in the military. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to talk about it. Well, nor should you. Yeah, you There's still a lot really of people about his, his affairs with CSIS. I don't know. Do, do people know what CSIS is? In, uh, I don't. It's like uh, the CIA, but in Canada. Yeah. Oh, it's the there Canadian you go. version. Okay. Yes. I used yeah. to just say I work for the government. Yeah. You know, but, I was but, the, but that's what you did because you did leave the rest of business. You like Steve Blackman. You left the rest of business for 10 years. He was, you know, probably assassinating people, and you were probably pulling the strings to make that happen of all the comparisons i thought i might get today steve blackman was not high on the list. but let's talk Pretty about pop. this don what he just did there yeah very passive aggressive i mean i've seen you at parties with glow sticks on it you're right yes. you're right up there with kenny sodbuster <laughs> jay <laughs> the two best kenny's yeah, yeah megan right. sodbuster but you did leave the business for quite a long time don and this is a funny thing because once again this is where this axis axis of power uh, uh, you are now uh, trumpeting and, and, and the backbone of what Kenny's doing, his advisor, his partner, his, his associate. But the same thing happened with you and I when I dragged you kicking and screaming back into the wrestling business only a few years ago. Well, that's right. And I mean, we go back to the three guys from Winnipeg thing. When you say I went away from the I never really left. What was what? that restaurant we ate at? Remember we ate at the restaurant? Pony Corral? That, was that Pony was Corral? That Pony Corral? It was, it was we met up of us. It was before. It was before we did um, the first time I ever met Kenny. The year yeah. 2017. Yeah. Oh, when we did the podcast. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Where was that, that? Was uh, that was at the Canada Inns? Canada Inns. Tom Tom Greenleaf. Tom, the, uh, what? I don't know. What was the guy's name? Joe Aiello. No, just some other guy. Thanks to the fine people the, up at yeah, Canada. They Inns. gave us a room to have our our deal. Very they nice. Did. Of them, um, yeah. But but I say like I, I never really left. The thing in this business, Chris. You know, you go away for six months. Oh, he's out of the business. You know, I always had one eye. I was waiting for the landscape to change where there was opportunity. And, you know, you and I reconnected, and that was great. And the, the podcast was great. And Madison was, Square Garden. Yeah, Madison Square Garden for your anniversary. And that, that was – I looked at that, and I went, Jericho's on to something here. And Jericho's got power. How can I work on that? And then 
when we saw Kenny and, and I, this is the exact right moment for Kenny Omega. It's the exact right moment. Kenny Omega brought me to new Japan. He was, he was headlining the that Tokyo. Wasn't done, yeah. Year, so yeah. cut it. That wasn't done on a whim. This has been years in the making 27 years. When you were 10 years old, we used to talk about one day we're going to run the wrestling business. Remember that? I remember and that. And the yeah. sheik used to laugh at us. He said, you two are crazy. But so that's Kenny what we was talked 10 about. And you were 20 I mean, in retrospect. Well, I thought you were just 43. entertaining the idea because, you know, I, that's, that, those were just my dreams. Those were my aspirations. So I thought, you know, it's just like your uncle playing with the, the little kid. Like, yeah, we'll be superheroes when you grow up. And, and, and Chris, at 21, I had more in common with Kenny Omega at 10 than I did with the Golden Sheik because I dreamed the dreams of a 10-year-old boy. And we would sit there and say, one day we're going to run the wrestling business. And the Sheik would go, you're a pair of marks. So let's talk a little bit more about this. So were you over at the, uh, the Sheik's for Sunday dinner and a young Kenny was over there? Or tell us a little bit more about that history for when you met him when he was 10. The Don. Sheik was a big family guy. He yeah. was called the Golden Sheik in Winnipeg. Yep. I remember sitting in the crowd and the fans used to yell at him, Golden Shower. <laughs> and that was the big insult. I'm yeah. not a golden shark. He used, he used the gimmick voice. I'm not a golden. Super Canadian accent, yeah. but he's a yeah. chic. I'm not the golden shower, yeah, man. Right. Yeah. And he, he had like a gold uh, chic outfit on. And the one thing about. Old school brother, dyed yep. blonde hair with oh, a dyed black yeah. beard, like Goldie Rogers and yep. Rip Rogers and all the other guys. The chic knew how to get heat, and he was a very good performer. But here's the great thing about the chic and why he was very important to me. At that time, 89, Chris, as you know in the business, Veterans did not treat young upstart guys well. You had that. I had that. Had that from you. It's <laughs> <laughs> another story. You love that one, the Gold's Gym. But the Sheik not only helped train me, but the Sheik was volunteered to be my manager when I had my first match. And he looked after me, and he looked out for me, and he took care of me. And that included bringing me to his home, to his family home, mm -hmm. and that's where I met Kenny. And then as Kenny got older, and I started watching Kenny play hockey, and I started watching Kenny do athletics and I went no, he's I a special everything. athlete yeah. Yeah. it was jiu-jitsu yeah so I didn't get into jiu-jitsu until later but I was playing hockey during the winters when I wasn't playing summer hockey I was playing soccer I tried baseball which I didn't enjoy actually playing because I didn't feel it was active enough I really wanted to move around a lot mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of when I got to know myself a little more I thought I want to do something where I want to assume a lot of responsibility where you know f uh, fight or flight it's all up to me that's where I found I really enjoy beach volleyball because it's only two and a court. Mm. So I tried all the team sports and I tried I tried everything because I, I was a sportsman. I hated it's strange because I, I hated watching sports on TV. I enjoyed watching the Olympics because I enjoyed watching sort of the height of athletic ability, country versus country, you know, man or woman versus man or woman, team versus team in, in complete representation of where you're from to find out who is the best. So in the end, you know, my, my, my father was a huge hockey fan. Everyone in Canada is a huge hockey fan. Almost, almost everybody. Yeah, I don't want, I don't want to group them together. Yeah. But, I mean, just it's, it's our, probably our sport of choice mm -hmm. in Canada. And me having a lot of just natural ability. I, and I enjoyed playing everything. I played hockey at a very high level. I chose being a goaltender to be like my dad. And that's probably how I sort of developed sort of that character trait of, of wanting a lot of response, of being able to shoulder a lot of responsibility. I didn't want to even have the opportunity to blame someone else for my blunders, right? If something screwed up, it was my fault. Yeah. And I wanted to be in control of not only if something w failed, that it was my fault, but I wanted to take credit for if something went right. I wanted to say, hey, look who you owe a thank you to. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's sort of like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Um, and those are the sports that I would search out. 
So even though I played basketball and I was really talented, my most fun playing basketball were were one on one tournaments. Um, mm. Yeah, when I when I did jujitsu, you know, there's no real team jujitsu. I mean, there is, but you know, a lot of these tournaments, you're you're representing yourself, and that's it. You're yourself in your school, um, or your dojo, whatever. So yeah, I really and I enjoyed combat sports. I enjoyed uh, physicality of it, but I, I wasn't a fighter. I got into a lot of fights when I was really young, but um, in the end, I just enjoyed sport competition. And I also enjoyed performing. I liked, I liked entertaining. And that's how I got into wrestling. And that's, I loved wrestling. But even when Don was coming over to uh, you know, our family dinners, which you know, the Sheik, of course, was at all of them, we didn't do a lot of family activities. But one thing we would do all the time is we would go out, go out to eat at various restaurants and just talk as family. Because as we grew up, you know, our family kind of dispersed and went all over. So when we all get together, we'd have these huge dinners. And Sheik was always there. I'll just call my uncle Larry, but yeah, yeah, uncle Larry. And, um, yeah, like, you know, I knew, I knew who Don was, you know, I knew he was involved in wrestling, but I had no idea until later on that the Sheik was in fact involved in professional wrestling. And that was a huge family secret. No one wanted me to know because I think they knew that as soon as I knew I was going to latch onto him and say, just teach me everything, you know, and guide me and give me, put me on the, the, the super highway to success of, of being a pro wrestler. Um, yeah. It's interesting to me because that's the same reason why I got into wrestling. My dad obviously played in the NHL. Yeah. And I used to love watching hockey, but right. I didn't like the fact, especially when teams started all wearing helmets. Yeah. You couldn't tell which guy was which. Right. And I love... Just a cog in the, in yeah, the wheel. I yeah. I love the, 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 the physicality of it, but I hated the fact that it was such a team effort. It was much more of wanting the whole spotlight to myself, right? Yeah. Which is where wrestling came into play for me. So, Don, you were mentioning how you were watching Kenny play these sports over the years and... And, then, Silently, and, I, and I'll say this, in 2007, the Sheik passed away, right? Yeah. Uh, Kenny asked me to deliver the eulogy at the funeral, which I did. And that day, and I don't, I don't think I ever actually shared this with Kenny, so it's a little exclusive for you, Chris. Wow. I quietly, as I finished that eulogy, made a silent promise to the Sheik that I would honor him by looking after his nephew in the way that he looked after me. And so that was very special for me. And I'll say that I knew Kenny was a great athlete. And Kenny asked me to train him as a wrestler. And I said, you know, when I was, a, my dad was a champion swimmer, almost went to the Olympics. Really? And when I was five years old, my dad uh, approached a friend of his and said, would you teach Don to swim? And the friend said to my dad, you almost went to the Olympics. Why don't you teach him to swim? And he said, because I'm his father and he's not going to listen to me. He's going to go with you and learn like everybody else. And that was the approach I took with Kenny. I said, you go get trained. I'll be watching and I'll see. And the first time I saw Kenny in a ring, I, I compared it to the great Muda. He just moved different. And to this day, he this still day, moves yeah. different than everybody else. And that's when I knew he has the potential to be the greatest of all time. And that's exactly what I think he's going to be. I think right now he's the god of pro wrestling with apologies to Carl Gotch. Well, let me ask this quickly. What did you learn from the Golden Sheik over the years that you then have tried to impart <clears throat> Denny? I think this business, especially back then, taught us to be selfish, taught us to be brutal on people who might take our spots. Sheik was a top heel in the territory mm-hmm. until I was. And the Sheik taught me to be charitable. The Sheik taught me to be mindful that it wasn't just all about me. And so I've taken that very Dalai Lama approach, that very Gandhi approach 
to a very small group. You know, Chris, I'm not like you. I don't have a million friends. No, I have a hardly my, 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 I hardly have any. And, and and we joke around about that, but the reason is I have a very high standard. And two of my friends that would fit on one hand are in this room right now, and that's that's the truth. And for guys like you and Kenny, I would take a bullet. For other people, I don't care. But the Sheik taught me that it's not just about you in this business. It's about people. And so now as, as Kenny and I carve our path and people say, aren't you happy with the accolades? I say, we're in the moment for ourselves. It's next level consciousness, Chris. That's what it is. No one thinks like Kenny and I do right now in this industry. And I hope people will learn like I learned from the Sheik. I hope people learn from Kenny Omega and Don Callis. You mentioned next level consciousness. Yeah. Uh, another thing that you've been accused of is a, is a manipulative carny. Um, That's a you, T-shirt. Do you agree with any of with that? The manipulative carny statement. Of course, because it's a T-shirt, by the way. I've yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that um, people say it like it's some bad thing. In any other business other than pro wrestling, it means you're successful. What does it mean? It means I outmaneuvered somebody. In the corporate world, that would make me a winner and get me a bonus. So, in the case of AEW, you know, people don't like what happened with me and Tony Khan, and they say. Don's a manipulative carny. No, Tony Tony took an L, just like one of his sports teams might take an L if they went up against a juggernaut. It's not personal, Chris. It is what it is. And we all learn lessons. I've learned lessons in the business from different people. I learned from the Sheik. Tony Khan learned a lesson from Don Callis and Kenny Omega. Yeah, he got worked. But now he moves on, and he's more successful because of it. So I think what Kenny and I did was give Tony a gift. So manipulative carny, call me that all you want. You'll still be calling me that 50 years from now you know, when they throw out the Eddie Graham and the Bill Watts and the Paul Heyman and the Vince McMahon books and they're talking about Don Callis, Kenny Omega, and Chris Jericho, by God, the Winnipeg, Manitoba history of wrestling. You know, you know what's odd, Chris, is that you probably attest to this, is that in, in professional wrestling, you almost have to prepare yourself for being stabbed in the back on a moment's notice. Yep. And that's just how you're trained. That's how you're, you have to, you accept it as, as what it's like to be in the business. And the people that face the most criticism are the guys that stab you in the front, like like Don, like myself. No, we're not going to use – we, we have no reason to keep our, our motive secret. We have no reason to do things behind closed doors or via text message or, you know, um, in, in conference calls with the network. We just, go, we just go out and take what we want. It's just, it's just how, who we are. It's how we are. I've always been awarded for what I do in the ring what I do on TV, what I do, the numbers that I can, that I can pull in. Um, it's, it's never because I've spent extra time, uh, kissing up to the boss or the network or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how these are skills that you're expected to learn when you're developing into the business and and that you're not going to get ahead unless you do things in a certain way. And I think if anything, one of the legacies that I love to leave behind is that your talent should speak for itself, and then you, the cream should always rise to the top. Well, dude, and I can attest to that because there is a mystery around Kenny Omega, and I'm sure a lot of that is is by design. A lot of it is just oh, your absolutely. a unique person. But I think that's – I mean, there's a mystery around – for example, I just had ACDC on my show this week. There's a mystery around ACDC. No one knows anything about them really. Who's yeah. their manager? Who's their lawyer? They don't really have one. You're kind of like that as well, and you have been for many years. And I think a lot of people take that as – Kenny's crazy or Kenny's this, Kenny's that, but I think that's part of your of your overall genius is that you do kind of oversee things your own way and you know that you're doing it your own way and you know that people kind of get thrown off by that. 
Yeah, I mean, I just I've always tried to live by the motto of just you know just be a good person. That's it. Be a good person and and do your best, and things will always go your way. And of course, as you go along in life, you realize that you do have to be a little aggressive. You do have to strike first and strike while the iron's hot as well. So maybe I've taken a route to get myself on on the on the on the quick path of success, but I've always done it in a way where I never had to stab anyone in the back. I never had to really lie. I mean, people talk about the match with John Moxley, for example, where I used the microphone. You know, I thought I had a gentleman's agreement. Okay, that's cool, but John Moxley was the first one to lay his hands on Don Callis. You know, John Moxley was the first one to do his uh, the paradigm shift DDT in, into a heater, which could have broken my neck because my body had nowhere else to go but straight down. Burned you? Yeah, yeah, could have, could have yeah. burned whatever. It was a silly thing to do. You know, just on a moment's notice. So, of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to want to get the hell out of there, right? Was it taking the easy way out? Sure, you can look at it that way. That's how it is. That's how it is. I think at the end of the day, what, what I think Kenny and I talk about is, he talks about being a good person. really doesn't matter what any of the fans think about Kenny Omega or Don Callis. It only matters what Kenny Omega thinks about Kenny Omega and what Don Callis mm-hmm. thinks about Don Callis. The people that are upset about this, Chris, if you look back, what are people saying three years ago? We hate the business the way it is. It's stale. It's boring. Yep. Guess what? The three of us gave them right. a whole new landscape. Yep. You're welcome. No one's thanking Kenny Omega for that right now. No. Right? No, no not is, at all. is that not right? No. People wanted the best. Where's the best bout machine? Where's he been for the last year? What's going on? But he was having yeah. the, be- the best bouts. But I mean, not what you know, they wanted ways, to right? see. Right. They wanted Ken- Why isn't Kenny Omega the champion? Yo. Now they've got it, and they're still, still not complaining. happy. That's right. <laughs> yep. They've got a whole new, brand new company that's the hottest company in the world, yep. and that's pissing people off too. Yeah, and they're and they're mad that that one guy isn't having a forty-five minute match every episode. Of course, I'm not. And why do I need forty-five minutes for these guys, Chris? You've seen our roster. You've seen them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's just be honest. It's called a spade a spade. <laughs> I mean, it is, there, there there is a a showmanship aspect to what we do, but let's be honest. You know who in this company, especially at this point in time, is really on the level like like we are. It's a short list. There's two of us. It's a, yeah, right it's a, yeah. I mean, we got we got Pack right. One of the greatest. I would say probably the greatest raw athlete on the roster. Is, is I I can easily say that. You know, I I'm good at what I do because I mix the athletics with what I have upstairs. Mm. And but Pack just has it so naturally in his body in his genes. Yeah. Um, Mox, so, Moxie's up there too. Moxie's up there too. I would say Moxie's more cerebral as well, yeah, and he's just a tough yep. mother too. Yep. Uh, yeah, just tough as nails. Yeah. Way tougher than I am. I never said I was a tough guy. I can absorb a lot of punishment, but do I want to get hit in the face? Yeah. No. No, you know, no, I want to mess up. Like my... I want this scar no. on my face for the rest of my no. life from that headbutt that Moxie gave me. <laughs> do, Think I want that? Do I want to mess up this quaff? Yeah. No. You know, <laughs> no. It, these these curls take a lot of scrunching. <laughs> but Don, let me ask you a question. Not to interrupt you, Kenny. Yep. When, when when you started, I mean, we mentioned that at the Madison Square Garden at the Jericho 20th anniversary. You, you go, Kenny uh, gives you the opportunity, which you take and run with to be the announcer, calling the shots for New Japan World, lead announcer, one of the hottest podcasts in the business. And then that was Kenny's help and then my help. And then you just took it to a completely different level. You always had it inside of you. You had it when you were booking Winnipeg at you know 1991. Yep. You had it when you took a very silly gimmick in 1995, six in WWE. Seven. Seven and, and made it one of the hottest things in the company. This is what you do as great performers do. There's three of us in the room that know this is reinventing and evolving. And uh, that's what you've done to the, to the nth degree since 2015 when all this started at the Garden. Thank you. And I, and I think that um, 
we all, like I said, we had a plan from when he was 10 years old. And the reality is that people thought, you know. the plan at 10 years old? What did you say? Someday you're going to. We're going to run the wrestling business. I never. What did me, you see in a 10-year-old kid that, that made you say this? Something in his eyes. Something in his eyes, the way he looked when he talked about professional wrestling. There was a glimmer there. And I thought, if this kid has what I think he might have. And, you know, you talk about people in the entertainment business who can, can scout someone at see. that age. You could just see that it's there. And then when the athleticism came as he grew up. Be like, not, somebody, not, just like, be like if somebody saw Michael Jackson, the Jackson 5, and said, sure. that's going to be the Michael biggest Jordan. star. Michael Jordan at 10 years old. My, Wayne Gretzky at 10. Phelps. Michael Phelps. Yeah. There you God. go. Gretzky scoring swim, Another swimming goals. reference. This is great. Awesome. We should all go, go swim today. some laps I was, together. I'm just trying to come up with uh, Michael references. <laughs> that's not Michael, bad. Michelangelo. <laughs> but but if, like, it's like people said, like, oh, like I went to New Japan and... As you know, Chris, like within what, Kenny, two months, people were saying I was the greatest color commentator. Two weeks. Since yeah. Jesse Ventura. Not yep. even kidding. And they're like, wow, you must be happy. It's so easy for me. And I didn't come back to be a commentator. That's about the lowest form of life other than a referee Terrible. in this business. So why would I come back to do that? There was always the plan. And when we saw what happened at the Tokyo Dome, I said, the sky's the limit. We can accomplish anything we want, but now's not the time. It wasn't the time three months ago. It wasn't the time two years ago. The time was two weeks ago. You can't get greedy. No. no, you've got to wait until it's there, and then you take it. Timing. Simple. Let's talk about the Tokyo Dome, because Kenny and I, and I have discussed it at length. Yeah. Never heard your real take on it as far as how this... Let's be honest. You orchestrated it. Yep. Uh, putting it together and putting the the idea in my mind. Um, just wasn't that easy to. I was not. dreading the phone call. No, I'm like, it? I'm going to call Chris and he's going to tell me I'm a mark. But let's because but let's, but let's you had always said you wouldn't. But hold on, okay, yeah. let's, let's take a couple steps back. Sure. Where did the idea come from? And let's discuss it from all three of our, our, our viewpoints because this is this is definitely we've heard this now the match that changed. The entire you want to talk about a paradigm shift? Yeah. It was Jericho and and, and Kenny at, yep. the, at the Tokyo Dome, yep. January fourth, two thousand eighteen. So I'm in Japan, and as I've as I've thought, as I've said many times, a lot of my thinking is, what can I do to further the agenda of Don Callis and Kenny Omega, which is to control things and to 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 rewrite the wrestling history. Kenny didn't have an opponent he was excited about. How do you follow up the Okada match, the six star, all that stuff? And I said, it was the year before, right? Yeah, that's right. And he had nothing. And there when it takes a lot to get Kenny Omega motivated and excited because Mm -hmm. he's next level. Mm -hmm. And I thought the one match that could do this was the dream match is Jericho, the Winnipeg thing. The fact that you no one thought you would ever wrestle anywhere other than WWE. I wasn't under contract at the time. You were not, but you had always said to me, Mm -hmm. I'll never wrestle for anyone other than Vince, et cetera. True story. True story. I said that everywhere. And I was hesitant to call you, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it because this is the right match for Kenny. And it turned out it was the right match for you, too, because you came and did what you do better than anybody else in the history of the business. You reinvented yourself, Mm -hmm. and you came in there, and you terrorized the Japanese like no one since Bruiser Brody. Like Godzilla. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That's the plan. And you were, to use my parlance, you were a man among insects in Japan. You were destroying people. And what you and Kenny did, that was all anybody talked about. I don't know what the numbers were. I mean, I do know. I, I don't want to. I don't want to tell them. I know. I'm a numbers you know. guy. I'll put myself. The over numbers Kenny are over astronomical. Went mm-hmm. up 300 percent on New Japan World. And a lot of people said to me at Maybe the time, even more. 
Probably more. How much That's money? Rounding it down, and I think it's like three hundred thirty. Not a mathematician, a third, but yeah, three hundred thirty-three and a third. And the if ticket it, sales. If a three and goes to merch, a nine, right. what is that? Three hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. there you go. But it wasn't a three and a nine. I'll tell you that. Massive, massive numbers. Massive changed their business model mm-hmm. worldwide in terms of global expansion. You know how much money I got paid for that? Zero. Zero yen. Zero dollars. Do you know how many times I was thanked by that company for that? Zero times. Zero. Do you know how much? You know how upset I was about that? Not, Not at, at all. all. Not at all. Wow. Because that was just one step in the plan. I didn't do that for money. If I wanted to make money, I'd have stayed in the businesses I was in before. I wanted to make history. You can't put a price on what the three of us did that day, Chris. No. You can't. You got well compensated. Well, yeah, I but, got well compensated. But, but, but Chris, but, 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 but it's been, what's more important? It's timed a hundredfold since then because of it. Mm-hmm. What, Take the money away. Your legacy, this company we're here today in AEW, what's more important? The money, the seven figures, or that, if you had to choose one? It's that of course it is. And that's the thing, too, when you're talking with, with, with about me saying I would never work anywhere but for Vince ever again. You know, there's a certain atmosphere in WWE, and, and you know, it is what it is, and I enjoyed it there for my time there, but this was a whole different level of star star positioning shall we say mm. positioning it in the main event of the Tokyo Dome with Kenny who yes a, a proven huge star in New Japan me I hadn't been there since 1997 when I was doing jobs for Kanemoto or whoever the hell it was El Samurai so for me to go there people kind of knew who I was but not really I mean unless you were a fan from 20 years prior so I had to start from scratch they might know the the, the idea of what Chris Jericho is or maybe heard the name or seen some matches when we came to Japan to do Sumo Arena, but this was a chance for me to prove myself on a completely different level. Mm-hmm. So it was a real kind of fight or flight, as Kenny said earlier, type of a gig. And had your suggestion not come up, I might never have been there, mm-hmm. which then in turn, I think, motivated Kenny, like you said, a fan of mine or whatever it was, mutual respect at that point. It was completely something I don't think anybody saw it coming. Yeah, you know, there's always a lot of... Uh, you you fear the resistance that you that you face when you try something new or try something that no one's ever seen before, and at the very least, at that point in time in my career, anyway, there were still the voices in the back of my head that were kind of doubting. You know, is what we're doing so revolutionary that we're actually going to face a lot of backlash from this? You know, this is so much different from any other main event that had come before it. Um, usually, You're right? Yeah, it it would be whoever the top star is, the champion. The, the IWGP heavyweight champion of the world would be in the main event and that would that would be it. It, it and he would face the top homegrown star possibly guest but they would, chances are they would probably be two people that had spent a lot of time in the country probably citizens probably Japanese mm-hmm. I remember that I was the first um, foreign main eventer in a long time for Tokyo Dome proving that that yeah we deserve to stand on the same stage yes. and, and that we could do it we could be a draw we could bring in money um, but it was still kind of part, of, still part of the same formula because I was pretty much a Japanese citizen at that point. And then when you'd come in with a very new um, IWGP US Championship, no one had thought that that would be a belt that they would see represented on such a large scale right. Tokyo Dome main event. That was going to be a belt that was going to be primarily defended on American soil. And then when you'd come in again, like you said, you hadn't been around since 1997, just to suddenly send shockwaves throughout the entire industry. And be trusted with a main event position. Of course, I'm going to have feelings 
that, yeah, maybe there's going to be backlash from the fans. Maybe there's going to be backlash from the community, from people who stay up to these you know, go- ungodly hours watching the New Japan streams, you know, guys that are staying up until four, five, six in the morning to watch their favorite wrestling programming. Maybe it's because they want just traditional strong style wrestling. Maybe it's because they want to see that formula that, that had been tried and tested throughout the years, but we're changing it all up again. So I was worried about what would happen, the negative connotations behind that. But um, boy, we changed everything in a complete different way. You had, like you said, two two foreigners in yeah. the main event there because it was a double main event. Yep. And I remember it was... Uh, Which it was is a, also very rare. Very rare. Yeah. And Okada and Naito. Okada and Naito. And Naito was furious because he had been screwed out of the main event before. Yes. So he was constantly saying, oh, it's not a double main event. And I was saying constantly it is a double main event, yeah. which led to Naito and I feuding for the next year. But they were angry about it. But the mm-hmm. bottom line is business is business. I'll tell you, he wasn't angry. Who? The uh, the office execs at Bushi Road counting their money that night. Exactly, you know? Exactly. So, Don, like you said, when you, you see this and you sit back, it's 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 part of the plan. What's the next step for the plan? Because then you'll go on you go on to become the, the vice president. Uh, is that the correct term? Vice president? Executive vice president. Executive vice president of Impact. With Scott. I'm, I'm one Which, of those, too. You, we're, 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 we're just EVPs out the wazoo. But here. once again, though, I'm not an EVP. But guess who helped you get the gig as an EVP, Don? There you go, man. I made a very influential huh. call to who? Leonard Asper from where? Winnipeg. There you go. It all back goes back to, to Winnipeg, Winnipeg, man. There you go. My goodness. So how did that stand as far as the next step of your plan? Was your idea to try and bring Kenny to impact? Or what was your what was your thought to bring you guys I, back together? I, I think that my hope was that our deal in Japan would change the wrestling business in a fundamental way. And yeah, I've said it publicly. If it if it if there were no AEW, I think you know, we would have moved heaven and earth to have both of you in Impact Wrestling. Mm-hmm. We there's discussed no, it. There's yeah. no question. It was the Bobby Hull. It was the million-dollar check at Portage in Maine in 1972. Was that what it was? Yeah. What year was that? Yeah, 1970. 1970. And, and Izzy, uh, uh, Izzy Asper, Leonard Asper's father, was at Portage in Maine for that ceremony. So that resonated. You I just think, got yourself think, a hockey man. player. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, that would have happened, and I don't know how that would have played out. I, I, I'll say this. I, I, don't, I don't care about ratings and numbers and accolades. I care about history, as I've said. So we would have changed history if that had been the case. I like the fact that we added to the milieu of pro wrestling by having AEW come in. I never knew you were bilingual, Don. That's oh, word. multilingual. Yeah, wow. Multilingual. Wow. Yeah, I was nice. speaking Spanish on a media call the other day, so... But, uh, yeah, I think we would have changed it regardless. But, you know, people thought, oh, he did all of this to become the EVP of Impact Wrestling. I, I love Impact Wrestling, and I'm happy and with the work Scott and I have done work very hard along with the team there. But the plan is always much grander. And I said when I took that job, it's not done. And I said the same thing. Kenny said the same thing at, from two weeks ago. We're not done. Nope. No one's ever changed the course of wrestling history more than once until us. Why don't we do it three times, Kenny? What do you think? And the thing is, too, Don, regardless of what you are at Impact Wrestling, there's no job title for what you're, what you're actually in the business for, which is changing history, which is changing the entire trajectory of pro wrestling. There's, you could be the president. You could be the owner. You could be, you could be the booker. It, it doesn't matter, but there's no job title for what you do. And, and what we do goes beyond what's required from us at the workplace. What we do requires thinking outside the box. What we do requires going to extreme lengths to change 
the infrastructure to change the landscape of an entire industry. And it, you can't do it. Like you said, this has been years and years and years and years in the making. You can't do it overnight. You can't rush these things. People talk about dream matches. And I always say wrestling fans are a lot like people, Chris. They dream small. Well, they actually are people. Some of them. Yeah. But they dream small. No one dreamt what happened two weeks ago no. on AEW. I didn't dream it. I, I didn't think that's it when I, when people ask me, why do you say you and Kenny are next level consciousness? It's because we're thinking at a totally different level. Our dreams are huge. Our dreams aren't about matches and booking and wrestling. Gifts, and you know. G- g- God, yeah. like it, it's it's frankly annoying. So we're going to keep moving the needle. We're going to keep having fun. And I, I like to look. I used to, I used to say, you know, I was a university professor for a time, as Kenny knows. I taught international business. I'm the only MBA in pro wrestling, and that doesn't even matter. Professor Callis, they would call you. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Call me whatever you want. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I used to tell my students, do your reading to prepare for what I'm going to teach you. Don't wait for me to teach you. Do your reading and be prepared so you're open to what I'm showing you. I would invite people to open themselves up and prepare themselves for what Kenny Omega and Don Callis have next. There's a famous parable in the Bible where there were some hungry people. And Jesus didn't just feed them. Oh, I know this one. He taught them how to fish. Yep. Kenny Omega and I are teaching people how to think. Hmm. It's very profound. It's it's yeah. Thank it's you. the em- empty cup analogy. You know, you don't don't arrive to a to a lesson with a cup half half full, three quarters full. Come with an empty cup. That way, you can learn everything that we're about to teach. A lot of people have preconceived notions about how wrestling should be. They're 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 judging based on what they've seen. In, in the years that they've watched professional wrestling, people that have the open mind that come to watch these shows, they're the ones that are going to benefit the most out of this. The wrestlers that, that watch what we do, that study what we do with an open mind, they're the ones who may take our position when we're about ready to pack it in. But it's the ones that feel that wrestling has to be a certain way. That wrestling has to be the way that it was done by one man, Vince McMahon, mm-hmm. who had the empty cup, right? He, he was the one who paved the way for everything. If they're not like that man... Don't expect to change anything. Just expect to be, you know, a, a cog in the machine of professional wrestling. Don't expect just to be another fan. Another number that, that everyone counts on the big ratings war. It's not about numbers. It's not about being, uh, you know, a worker ant to the queen. This is about us doing what we think we're capable of. And that's changing the way that you watch wrestling, the way that you think about wrestling, the way that you emotionally invest in wrestling. And also to expect the unexpected, which people haven't been able to do for a number of years now, since you showed up at Fukuoka, probably. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, Chris, I'll just say this. If you have some insects, I'll say some ants on the ground. Maybe maggots. Maggots, too. Their their concern, those insects are only concerned with one thing. They're going to mill around on the ground and they're going to... Try to feed themselves, yeah. and they're trying to reproduce. Want to get to the ice cream? They they don't yeah. care about reading Tolstoy. They can't possibly conceive of it because they're not built that way. They couldn't even read Toy Story, let alone Tolstoy. Very good. Yeah. I'd like to see what you did there. Well played. <laughs> but that's what we're dealing with with what we're trying to put out there. Well, we're gods among insects, Chris. The three of us. You, you said we are, we are definitely the Lord of the Flies in many different ways. And the rings. And the rings. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and rings. The and com- rings. Yeah, rings. The company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you're talking about changing history again, 
it's something that we haven't seen expect the unexpected of going yeah. to impact. We've seen Kenny showed up for the last few weeks on the show. Now we know there's a big pay-per-view match. Chris, you know, come I on, hard to yeah. kill. You and yeah. I named that with I, well, I was on the podcast, too, a hard to kill podcast. Oh, yeah. Last Jeez, year. Louise. That pay-per-view may well have been first from? at the where's time. Where's Chris from? Winnipeg. He's Winnipeg. from Winnipeg. There right. you go. There is. The hard, hard to kill two. January 16th in Nashville. It's going to be available on pay-per-view, of course. Uh-huh. Impact Wrestling. We dropped the bombshell just yesterday. No one thought it could happen. Kenny Omega, AEW World Champion, and the good brothers, Biz Cliz and the His House. Yes. In a six-man tag for the ages against the Motor City Machine Guns, the revolutionaries of tag team wrestling, and the Impact World Champion, Rich Swan. That's your Swan. main event. Oh, yeah. I know you are. You told me to sign yeah. it. Impact Wrestling, hard to kill. It's going to be the biggest pay-per-view of the year. It's going to blow people's well, it's minds. it's the biggest pay-per-view on Impact history. So you got one Kenny of the top Omega, draws in the business on your show. Kenny Omega, the god of pro wrestling, is going to get in the ring with another world champion. It's going to blow people's minds. The Good Brothers, people are very excited about the Bullet Club, all this stuff. There's so much going on, it's hard to even comprehend. Okay, well, let me ask you a question, Kenny. As we all know, Please. Good Brothers, Gallows and Anderson, those pieces of back. shit. They, they, you go back a long way. They, uh-huh. they kind of gave us the Iggy, uh, the little runaround, and they'll talk about it, and they have many times. Yep. But what was it that that you got? Like you said, was was kind of the old the the, the old blood uh, brought you back together again? What the, the past that you had, the bond that you had? Did you have to discuss what they did trying to come in here? Or did you, you know, care? I mean, I'll be honest with you, Chris. You know, when the Good Brothers were coming up upon their um, contract being up, yeah, um, we were the first people to to light them up, give them a call to say that yes, you have a home here if you want it. Yeah, and they ended up going back for more money, right? And there's no shame in that. I don't. I don't know what motivates people to do what we do in the ring, what we do in the business. If you're a family man, your priorities change. You probably know this, you know, better than anybody. Sure. I. I don't have anything to hold me back from from doing what I know must be done. This is a responsibility. What I'm doing right now, I feel that I have the ability, and thus I am responsible to change the business, to give people more jobs, to give the people that are competing directly against me. To give them double, triple, quadruple their salary. That's part of my responsibility. You know, they can thank me all they want for it. They can hate me all they want for it. But when they put their food on the table, when they send their kids to college, that that's because of me. Mm-hmm. The only part that they have to deal with is a part that they don't like the person looking back at them in the mirror. Because they can't be me. Because all of the accolades that I collect on a yearly basis, and there's multiples, you know, all the needle that moves breaks the scale every time that I do anything. Anytime that I that I that I open my mouth, anytime that I type something on a keyboard, anytime that I do anything in a ring that breaks the internet, I know it upsets people. But, but Chris, I mean, it's what you do. It's it's again it's who it, you are. I can't change who I am. I can't change my DNA. I can't change the purpose. I can't change my life's goal. Okay, so let's so 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 having said all that. Was it a, a great reunion to be back with uh, with your old brothers there? Again, when I needed direction, when I was lost, when I didn't know how to go about chasing the dream to grasp what I knew was available to me, that's where Don came in, treated me like family. No, we're not family by blood, but I call him family because he was there for me like a father, like a brother, like an uncle. Like, Since you were like, 10. Like my Uncle Larry. Uncle Don. Exactly. And the Good Brothers, in the same way, were there for me when I was in Japan. When I was when I was trying to take 
take something, take a new challenge. And that was going from the, the Indies in Japan to now taking a huge new leap to New Japan where there's not much crossover in fan base. Mm. Bushiro did a great job of creating their own universe of fans. The people that watch New Japan, they're only watching New Japan. It's true. You know, there's going to be some crossover, but they had developed a, a very new fan base and mostly women, as you know, women and children, which is which is incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, that watch their product and strictly their, their own product. So I wanted to know, how can I be successful? What do I do? Is this Kenny Omega good enough? And the good brothers are the ones to give me a nudge with their elbow and say, it's not good enough. And I, I want to see the, this Kenny Omega, the one that you show me when we go out for Yakiniku, when we go out for Korean barbecue, when we go out for the sponsored dinners. I want to see this guy. I want to see this personality in that ring. And I think what you're doing in Japan uh, with DDT, I don't think it's enough. And I don't think it's going to convey your message. You want to tell these people. And I don't think, I think what you want to do is going to take another five, six, seven, eight years to, to do we, when we don't have that time. We need to strike while the iron's hot and we've got the way. And that, that driving force, that broomstick engine was the Bullet Club. So and that's why there was the birth of the cleaner. And that's why Gallows, Anderson, all the Bullet Club guys, Tama, Tonga, Fale, they're the ones to introduce me, to accept me with open arms and to present to the world the cleaner. Yeah, I got to speak with my own mouth, with my own voice on that night. But if it wasn't for their, their humble acceptance of me and for them to introduce me to a live crowd and then give me the platform to then in my first match win the junior heavyweight title, who knows how long it would have taken. We probably wouldn't be here today. I'd probably be still plugging away, being a white meat baby face, you know, in, in, in New Japan. And I'd probably be like, you know, I hate to say it, but a guy like Cody Ibushi, who's got all the talent in the world, but has yet to win the big prize. I owe that to the Bullet Club. I owe it to the Gallows and Gun. Absolutely. So do I feel bad you know that they they kind of screwed us to take to take the payoff at WWE. The answer is no. I I I don't I don't need to know their reasons for doing it. What all I what I care about is that their family, and that if when they needed me, I was there for them like they were there for me. I know they're there for you again with this giant absolutely reunion of the bull. How big is that for for Impact to have the first official reunion of the real Bullet Club? Wow, it's another one of those things that many of the people out there. Uh, thought could never happen. We right. seem to be, Kenny Omega and Don Callis seem to be in the business of giving people things they never thought could happen. So it's huge for all of those people, and it's huge for Impact Wrestling to have the greatest wrestler in the history of the wrestling industry, Kenny Omega, the god among insects, on our pay-per-view. It just sucks that we're all out of ideas now, hey, Don? Yeah, what are we going to do? Wow. <laughs> yeah, geez. What will we come up we've, with? We've next? blown all the big guns already. There's got to be yeah, nothing, nothing left, left in the tank. Once you go to the chopper, you get the helicopter. Yeah. What are you going to do next? That's it. But let me ask you just quickly, Kenny, as we start to wind down here. Yep. You had a, what a lot of people are saying was the best match of the year in Mexico uh, wow, with, uh, yeah. with Laredo Kid just basically a couple days ago. Yep. Um, first of all, congratulations. Thank uh, you. Second of all, I know there was zero people in the crowd for zero. that. Tell us a little bit about that experience and about that match. You know, what, what, one of the things that made the Mexican experience for me going there and not knowing what to expect was um, the, the crowd. You know, it, it's always going to be different every country you go right. to. You know, I've had great experiences in Canada, U.S., Japan. Um, Chile was another mm. place that blew me crazy, away with yeah. just how crazy those fans can get. And it fills you with all kinds of energy. But Mexico is very unique. You know, as you know, they have the horns all the time. They have these clapper things, and they're loud from the start to the finish. Right. Um, so for me to kind of have my first experience at Triple Mania quite some time ago, yeesh, 
in front of 35,000 people was was incredible. So to go to that same building for another Triple Mania, and it's almost like a, this closed, it's, we're in the same building, but it's this very close quarters, very intimate setting. It would look like we were going to appear on a talk show because we had commentary people and we had a couple like, you know, big wig exec guys sitting on like sofas around the ring. And that's it. You know, when we had, you know, the commentary guys at a booth, they had the plexiglass um, separation between each other so for social distancing and all that. But to be there with no, without that noise, but still, you know, with that, the six sided ring with still the, you know, the roving camera that spins around and gives you kind of like a crazy, it's, it's a complete different type of cinematography. Um, it was odd, but I feel like the practice that we'd had here, you know, in mm-hmm. Jacksonville, it sort of just made it like any other day aside from the ring and, and noticing that we have some ropes angled at you rather than it being a box. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 That was really the only difference. Um, but it felt like just another day at the office because I'd actually wrestled Laredo Kid twice in uh, two multi-man tag matches. But, I mean, just kind of face Laredo Kid in his ultimate form where he was in better shape. Uh, he was a better athlete. He was, uh, as a professional wrestler, just more complete. Um, I could have asked for a better experience. You know, I, I kind of went into that match just thinking I might be disappointed. But, um, and, and I wasn't sure how the fans are going to take to it. It's crazy when you, when you're people are raving about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When you're a decorated performer and, uh, you go collector. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, some matches are going to take five minutes of the match is going to take 15. And that one took about 30. Um, it's going to be different everywhere I go. There's all, all different levels of opponents, but yeah, Laredo kid was fantastic. Just, not quite there, you know. Not quite there. It's kind of funny how now the norm for us is is no people. You yeah, know, like, it really is. And I think once we start getting people back, then you will really start to hear the reactions of of what yeah. people are thinking. But the best way to gauge it now is by the ratings and by the reviews. Mm-hmm. And like we said, the hottest act in the show right now is is, is Kenny Omega and Chris. Dallas. We all started off wrestling in front of no people, and here we are again. It's like bumpers all over. It all again. comes yeah. full circle. Just don't drop kick me in the corner again. That's what they give you a belly to belly suplex. You almost had a heart attack and a little. So what it? What it? Like seriously, he comes in, Kenny. Yeah, twelve people in the building. Bumpers, he, bumper, bumpers, 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 bar, yeah. belly to belly suplexes me in an eight by eight ring. God, oh, it's like that, working really, a bag of sledgehammers back then. That's where no, no matter what move you take, your legs are hitting the ropes that's, every time. That can never be pinned. Yeah, yeah. A little stiff. Well, that's because when I first met him at Gold's Gym in 1989, I asked him if he was a natural. He said no and walked away. I, don't what, like, I think I when don't you like asked marks. him, he, you asked, he thought you asked him if he was all natural. <laughs> <laughs> Don Callis, uh, last last thoughts here. Uh, what is your plan uh, for you and Kenny over the next, uh, you know, over the next year in 2021 and beyond? Kenny Omega is going to be AEW World Champion for as long as we decide to keep doing this. Yeah, there is no one out there who's going to come close to beating Kenny Omega. Um, Am I going to be satisfied to just walk around and Kenny and I have this belt and do our thing and set ratings records? No. No. So what you have to look forward to is the next history-changing cataclysmic event, and uh, we'll let you know when that happens. You know when it'll happen? When no one expects it. Yep. You only know it when you see it. Well, that seems to be your MO, and like I said, it's uh, between the three of us, we have put Winnipeg. I'll say this to anybody. It is the most important city in the history of pro wrestling at this point in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. Congratulations.